are listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life Moscow Campus, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Real Life, how you doing? Good. We start a new sermon series today. Um, I'm just diving right in. Is that okay? Excellent. Every time I practice it, it gets longer. So it's not how it's supposed to work. It's supposed to get shorter. But you guys are last service, so I'm sure you got the email to pack a lunch. We are starting a new sermon series called Forever Change. The idea is, listen, since the beginning of Christian history, we have shared testimonies. The reason we do that is because story is powerful. And there's a place for all of it. Like theology is incredible. Like I love me a good theology textbook. That's a joke because you know I kind of don't. But nevertheless, you, you, you get a good systematic theology textbook and it's great. It teaches you all about God's good sound theology, doctrine, all that wonderful stuff. But it's so sterilized. Like it's taken all the nuance and it's put it in wonderful prose with bullet points. And, a, and life isn't like that, right? Now the theology is true, but stories help us take what's true about that theology and our experience of Jesus and put it into like the messy complexity, the nuance of everyday experience, correct? That's why we, are you guys awake today? Remember me, I'm an interactive guy. If you don't give me, okay? All right, so we tell stories because stories impact us in that way. And so the idea here is to find people in the scriptures that have their own testimonies in the text and to take a look at their stories. One note from the Pullman team that I just loved They said, listening to stories of others helps us realize that there are questions we didn't know needed to be asked. I like that. That's good. That's why we're going to tell stories. And so some of these characters are going to be people that met Jesus like in passing, like on the road, they met Christ and this one encounter for a few minutes changed everything for them. Some of these characters we're gonna look at will be like people that met Jesus, their life was changed and they followed him for the rest of his ministry. The character today is just one sort of person. Her name is Mary Magdalene is gonna be the character we look at today. Mary of Magdala, say Magdala. We'll get there in just a moment. But first, let's talk about who Mary wasn't. Let's get who Mary wasn't kind of off the table. There's some misconceptions that people bring with them. And then let's talk about who Mary was from the text and then try to make some observations and we'll be on a fun little journey. We'll only take us a couple hours. Um, the, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Somebody's cheering for that. I'm, I'm in. Okay, so who is, who is, not, who is, who is not Mary? It's horrible. Who is Mary not? Who isn't Mary? There we go. Mary is not Jesus's wife, okay? Um, So shocked that never got any chuckles in all three services. So Dan Brown wrote these wonderful books in the last decade, two decades. I'm getting older, man, my goodness. Um, He wrote books, Angels and Demons, The Da Vinci Code. You remember when that all hit and Christians all lost their mind and all that wonderful stuff. Um, So so that idea kind of got some prominence, this idea that that Mary Magdalene was Jesus' wife. It actually shows up early in Christian history. Like, uh, I shouldn't say Christian history. I should say Apocrypha. Say Apocrypha. Apocrypha refers to books that are not in your Bible and, in my opinion, shouldn't be for lots of good reasons. So uh, second century Apocrypha, Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Mary, they make mention of such things. It's where Dan Brown gets his ideas, all that kind of stuff. Not, it doesn't align with the, what we have in your New Testament. From the gospel accounts to Paul in the book of Corinthians, that doesn't work with your New Testament canon. Does that make sense? 
not Jesus' wife. However, if I can just add a PS, this is where I'm getting myself in trouble, um, as far as time goes. Uh, do you remember like seven years ago, if you were like on Facebook and there was this big thing about how they had found a piece of parchment that had some Hebrew on it and it talked about how Jesus had a wife and everybody lost their mind over that too? Okay, I'm gonna give you a good rule of thumb whenever you, you find an article on the internet, especially Facebook, that says we found something. You all ready? Here's your rule. Calm down. I don't care whether you love it or you hate it, calm down and let the process do its work. Uh, I even see some of you writing that down. That's actually excellent. That's good. Um, so what we did was we found this parchment and it, within the, the, in the months that followed, everybody, conservatives, liberals, everybody agreed it was all a fake. It's a forgery. It wasn't the real thing. But at the same time, the reason why that mattered to me that we all just calmed down is from a Jewish perspective, one of the largest critiques they level at the gospels is that Jesus isn't married. In, the, in a first century Jewish world, a, a teacher, informal rabbi, formal rabbi, ra rabbis aren't formal until 70 AD. It's a whole other sermon for another day. But rabbis have to be married. The first rule of, the first commandment of Torah is be, be fruitful and multiply. How can, you, how can you teach me Torah if you, if you haven't obeyed the first commandment? Now, we don't have to agree with that. I don't agree with that. I actually ran into that on Friday after I preached on Thursday. I was in the middle of Talmud on Friday. Don't ask me why. Long story. But studying Talmud and ran across the whole section of Talmud that talks about how a teacher must be married. So I just say all that because it's always good for us just to calm down when we find good things because there's always a bigger conversation to be had there. Now, I don't think Jesus was married. It's not my point. But you, you get my point? Do you get my point? That was probably a PS I didn't need to throw in there, but it was fun, wasn't it? Okay, good. Back to who Mary wasn't. She wasn't Jesus' baby mama, okay? Yeah, you guys accepted that one better. Than, I said I wasn't going to do that one again, but that one worked. Um, then uh, second, she's not the sinful woman who washes Jesus' feet with her hair. Uh, she's not the prostitute. She's not the... That, that idea got started in the 6th century Pope Gregory... Um, just decided that that was Mary Magdalene. There's nothing in the text that says that. And for some people, the Pope said it. That's good enough for me. Uh, popes have said a lot of things throughout history. Some of them have been wrong. Uh, that seems to be one of them. It doesn't align with any of the stuff in the gospel accounts. So that's where that idea comes from. Ever since Christian thought started doing that with Mary Magdalene, she became like this crazy sexual deviant, like, you remember in The Passion of the Christ, that movie by Mel Gibson, the woman that gets thrown at his feet, the woman caught in adultery? Like, that's the picture we all have of Mary Magdalene, like disheveled hair, like just kind of a loony, like sexual prostitute, like not her, not her according to the scriptures. Um, so it's good to like, get both of those things kind of off the table. So who was Mary Magdalene? Well, Mary is from Magdala. You said it already, say it again, Magdala. Let me show you a map. This is going to be important for later, okay? Let's start over here on the east. Let's go east and southeast. You see Hippos and Susita? Say Hippos. Hippos. This is fun to say. Uh, Hippos is, the northern city of, uh, is in the northern part of the Decapolis. The Decapolis is the 10 pagan Roman cities. Jews don't live there. It's totally pagan. The idolatry, the immorality. There is no synagogue in the Decapolis until the 4th century. Like, Jews do not live there. It is totally Roman, totally pagan. So I say Decapolis, you say pagans. Decapolis, Decapolis, that's so much fun. Okay, um, let's go to the north part of the Sea of Galilee, right? So the north part of the Sea of Galilee, all those cities up there, 
say Chorazin. Say Capernaum. Say Bethsaida. Do you see how they form a triangle? Okay, that was called the triangle. <laughs> um, that is where the Hasidim, say Hasidim. That means pious ones in the Hebrew. The pious ones went up and lived in the north. The triangle is the land of the Pharisees, the ones that were totally devoted to the word of God and being obedient to the word of God. And they had a cousin. See, the Pharisees believed that if we're totally devoted to God, he will take care of our enemies. They had a cousin, not literally, called the zealots who believed that God wants us to take up our swords and join him in redemptive violence and overthrow the Romans. So both of them are Hasidim. One just says, don't use a sword. And one says, use a sword. And the zealots live in Gamla. Say Gamla. Means camel, okay? So you have, you have Decapolis, you say pagans. I say uh, triangle, you say Pharisees. I say Gamla, you say, man, you guys are good at this. You guys are good at this. Okay, let's go over here to the west side of the Sea of Galilee. There's a mountain there called Mount Arbel. Some of you have actually stood on top of Mount Arbel. Over your, if you have, over your right-hand shoulder to the south is a modern-day city called Tiberias. That city was built by Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas is the son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great, or Herod the Wicked, however you want to call him, was the Herod that was killing all the babies in the Christmas story. Yes, when Jesus is born, he dies shortly after Jesus' birth, right at that same time period, and then his three sons take over. Herod Antipas is the Herod who's ruling in the Galilee during the ministry of Jesus, and Herod Antipas is the Herod that Jesus is constantly like, with, okay? He's always like subverting his imperial proclamations. That, That Herod. He built Tiberius. Now, Tiberius, that means Tiberius is Herodian. Say Herodian. Now you're thinking Herodian. That means of Herod? Yes, but it means more than that. Herodian has taken the Jewish world and the pagan world and put them together. Herodian says, I can have God and I can have theater. I can have God and I can have arena. I can have God, and I can have comfort and leisure and power. And if it sounds familiar, that's because that's the worldview that almost everybody in the room holds. Okay, it feels a little funny when you examine it like this, doesn't it? Makes total sense for you, seems funny for them. Probably good discussion for like, we love to be culturally Herodian and religiously Pharisaic, by the way, which is a horrible mixture. Horrible, horrible mixture. Nevertheless, okay, enough about that. That's Tiberius, Herodian, a combination of the two. Before Tiberius was built, that presence was in Magdala. Okay? Before Tiberius, which was being built during the days of Jesus, that Herodian presence was in Magdala. Uh, I remember in 2008 um, being in Israel and Magdala, the ruins of Magdala kind of sat down at the bottom of Mount Arbel, but hadn't really been uncovered much by the second or third trip that I was on, they had un- by the second trip, they had uncovered the synagogue. By the third trip, they had actually put a beautiful big old roof to preserve it over the top of the ruins. This synagogue in Magdala is the oldest synagogue we've ever found. It dates early, early first century, meaning that if you believe your gospel accounts, Jesus stood in that synagogue. Now, the thing about that synagogue is it has this beautiful mosaic 
which is so odd for an early synagogue because early synagogues are usually really rough and simple because guess where we found them all? In the, in the triangle. But if Magdala is where all the Herodian affluence is, you would expect the synagogue to be a little bit nicer, which is exactly what we found. Okay, Tiberius, Magdala, that's going to be upper middle class, upper class. Triangle, poor. Because you're rejecting everything Roman. So you're barely scraping by because you're not accepting anything that Rome has to give you. In Magdala and Tiberius, you're putting both, you're doing quite well, thank you very much. Rome's been very nice to me. Mary is from Magdala. That's gonna be important. Hold on to that. Now let's go to the passage where we meet Mary. First mention of Mary in Luke chapter eight. After this, Jesus traveled from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. So Luke, Luke tells us that Jesus is doing his kingdom of God thing. He's going all about the ministry, preaching the kingdom of God. And then he tells us that the 12 are with him, which is normal. Like when we picture Jesus going all over, we always picture Jesus and the 12 disciples. But Luke goes out of his way to say, most of the places that Jesus went, it wasn't just Jesus and the 12. There was also a group of women following him who had been cured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The women's discipleship pastor just here. Was that you? Um, so, so, you just totally threw me off. Carrie, what have you done? Um, and, and, there's, and, and these women have been cured with uh, evil, evil spirits and diseases, which can mean a lot of things in the first century. A lot of things. And we, we're not given the details. It can be everything from mental illness to physical complications to actual spiritual demonic presence. Like we have no idea. But this group of women have all met Jesus and have all been forever changed. And they're all following Jesus. Okay, let's keep going. Now he's going to mention three women and the first one is who? Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, which I'm like, thanks, Luke. No backstory on that whatsoever. Like, I feel like if you're going to just drop that one in there, like, you need to give me some backstory so I know more about these seven demons. Because here's why that's relevant. We read this, and immediately we put Mary in a mental box of, like, this crazy demoniac. But do you remember the story of the demoniac on the other side of the sea? Remember the legion of demons that gets cast out into the pigs? Remember that story? They don't let him live in town, do you remember? Because if you're Roman, if you're Herodian, you don't like crazy people in town. They ruin your picnic. Thank you. Like that's a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. That's a criticism of our worldview. I hope you were picking up what I'm putting down there, okay? Like you don't live, Mary doesn't live in Magdala if she's some crazy seven demon possessed woman. Because the guy on the other side of the sea he was kicked out of town and he lived naked in the tombs. Like he's living in the cemetery. That's where you send people like that. Mary of Magdala, what is this demon possession that Luke references? And we know Jewish authors love to use numbers. We've watched Luke use numbers before. Is this like seven as in like she was completely possessed? Seven being the number of completeness. Is this seven as in the seven pagan nations? That's how the Jews talked about the Decapolis. The Decapolis was the seven pagan nations of Joshua 3.10. 
Is that, is Luke trying to tell us that she had totally bought in to the Hellenistic Roman worldview completely? I don't know. We just simply don't know, but we are going to be given some other clues here in the text that seem relevant. Let's keep reading. So Mary called Magdalene, from whose seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Husa, the manager of Herod's household. More on that in a moment. And Susanna, who we're not told anything about. And many others. Listen. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So this group of women, and particularly these three women, are bankrolling Jesus' ministry. That's how he's able to feed his disciples, find lodging, do anything he needs to do. They're bankrolling Jesus', which is what you would expect with somebody from Magdala. You would expect to find a woman of means and affluence. If she's, bankroll, if she's one of three women bankrolling Jesus' ministry, she's not some crazy demoniac that's been pushed to the fringes. There's something else going on there. I don't know what it is. Luke doesn't tell me. But we know that Mary doesn't look like a crazy, disheveled hair prostitute. She looks like most of us in the room. And that's what I want you to see. Mary is middle class, upper middle class, upper class, educated, making money, doing just fine, except for some seven demons. <laughs> More on that in a moment. Okay, where's the next time that we find Mary? Directly mentioned, we find Mary all of a sudden all over the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And all four gospel writers put her there. Like her presence in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus gets all four gospel writers' attention immediately. Boom. It's not just like one gospel writer thought he would mention Mary of Magdalene. No, she is mentioned by every gospel writer that we hear from. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. That's a lot of Marys, by the way. Miriam was a very popular first century Jewish name for females. It's part of the reason why it's so hard to know which Mary is which Mary throughout the Gospels. Everybody's named Mary, Miriam. Near the cross of Jesus stands Mary Magdalene. By the way, where are all the male disciples? <laughs> fishing, that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> Eventually they are. Hiding, fishing, running, however you want to word it, not there, except for John. John will be at the foot of the cross. They're not there. The women are. And I've heard people try to write that off. It's like, well, the, the men were the ones that were in danger. Nobody would have cared about the women. Listen, Romans have no problem taking advantage of women. None on lots of levels, especially women with means. These women's, these women's this, this group of women has some chutzpah. They stand at the foot of the cross. I'm not leaving. Surrounded by Roman soldiers, I'm not going anywhere. Next time we see Jesus, not Jesus. Next time we see Mary, the burial. The burial of Jesus. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. She's still there. Everybody else has gone home. It's Sabbath. Sabbath is starting. 
She's like, I'm going to see right where they lay him. She's there through his whole ministry. She's paying the bills. She gets to the end of his ministry. She's standing at the cross. They go to take him off the cross. She's still there. Everybody else has gone home with her and another Mary. Still there. Apparently, she goes home for Sabbath. Good Jew living in Magdala. She goes home for Shabbat. Listen to this. Where are we going to see her next? The resurrection. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, she doesn't even wait for Sabbath to be over. <laughs> Boom. She's out before it, while it's still dark, she's up. She's up Sunday morning. I don't know what she expects, but she's got a job to do. She loved that rabbi. She loved that rabbi. She goes to the tomb. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from its entrance. Who is the first? Now, the other gospel writers put Mary with some other women. So we don't want to look over that. Like there are some other women with Mary, according to the other gospel writers. But in John's story, he wants you to see one character. Who is it? Who is the first person that sees an empty tomb, a stone rolled away? Can you imagine? Why? Because she's faithful. Because she's faithful. And of course, all the guys, they're on the way. No, they're not on the way to the tomb. Nope, here it is. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. I love that. That's John going, that's me. (laughs) And said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Mary goes and tells Peter and John, So they take off. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. That's John being like, yeah, bro. What's up? Uh, He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb, which is the Greek kind of like says he just kind of barreled in. So I always picture like John like really in shape, like Josh, he's running, he gets there first, and there's me, like, and just like barrels in, like, okay, so that's Peter, okay, so, so he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head, and the cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen, so they're looking around, yes, they're in the tomb, they're like noticing things, they're noticing the strips of linen, okay, finally, the other disciple who reached the tomb first, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So I don't know what they believe. Did they finally believe Mary? Like we're told in the other gospel accounts that Mary and these women come to the disciples and it's like, the Lord is gone. And they're like, what do they know? They're women. What do they know? Apparently everything. And you, you know, the backstory. You're like, uh, the truth. That's what they know. (laughs) And they're like, what do they know? Right? So, so, I, so does he believe Mary? He doesn't believe the resurrection yet. He doesn't, he doesn't get it yet, and who would? Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? Question. Were the angels there when Peter and John were in the tomb? Huh. So God didn't want to show up for Peter and John, but was waiting for Mary. 
Hmm. They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Miriam. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic. That's not what it says. It's a total translator's arbitrary opinion. She says it in Hebrew, my rabbi. My rabbi. If any Pharisees were standing there, they went, excuse me, Mary, women don't have rabbis. She doesn't care. My rabbi. No, 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 no. I think you, you got your words mixed up there. Let me mansplain it to you. No. No. My rabbi. Now listen to me. From here, Jesus is going to go on to tell her to go talk to Peter, to which I want to say, Jesus, you just missed him. Like, but again, Jesus didn't want to talk to Peter. Jesus is like, I have an appointment. I have a breakfast appointment with Peter on the beach later. Okay, I don't need to talk to Peter right now. I'm here to talk to Mary. I want Mary to talk to Peter. Because Peter was just there. And Jesus apparently was like hiding in the bushes. Like, <laughs> Peter, get out of here. I'm trying to talk to Mary. Okay, is he gone? Okay. Mary, who are you looking for? I love this. Apparently, Jesus didn't want to talk to Peter. He wanted to talk to Mary so that Mary could talk to Peter. Because Jesus is this resurrected dude. He could talk to whoever he wants. He wants to talk to Mary so that Mary can talk to Peter. Can I, uh, okay, let, I don't even know how, oh, I'm only 45 seconds late. Can I make some observations before we work to our, towards a closing? Let's take this story of Mary and see what observations we can pull from it. All right, first observation. We all have our demons and all of us can be changed. Here's, I think the reason why we like to make Mary and other Bible characters like these disheveled, like crazy people is because we love for them to seem like somebody else other than me. And some of you, I get, like you're like, I am a disheveled, crazy person. That's awesome. <laughs> you are close to the kingdom. For all the rest of us, I feel like we love to disconnect ourselves from this story. Like I remember we have, we have this here at Real Life on the Palouse, but we also had it at the last church I worked at. We had a program called Recovery for Life. Here we have this thing called CR, Celebrate Recovery. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And, and I know that there's like this stigma with a large part, like that's for like those people. Like those people with hurts, habits, and hangups. Can anybody in the room wanna tell me you don't have hurts, habits, or hangups? And yet we're like, those people, those are the seven demon people. Like, the, no. Like, what I love about really looking at who Mary is, is Mary is just like you and me, and yet Mary has seven demons. What are the demons? See, a lot, no, 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 not a lot of us. Let me change that. Every single one of us in this room have our demons. Some of them just don't get labeled the same way as others. Can I, yeah, thank you. I'll amen that myself. <laughs> I have demons. People look at me and they're like, oh, well, you got it all together and you know the Bible and blah, 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 blah. And guys, 
I am as human as you are. I am as human as Mary Magdalene. I I am as human as any person that shows up for Celebrate Recovery. And they, I often find they are so far ahead of me in things of the kingdom, like they get it. They get the gospel better than I do. Anyway, does that make sense? Tracking with me? All right, good. Next, Mary takes a stand and makes a difference. Mary and these other women. Okay, so, so Joanna, remember Joanna, the, the wife of Husa, the manager of Herod's household? Husa is Herod's treasurer. Okay, hold on. So, the, the women that are bankrolling Jesus' ministry, one of them is the wife of Herod's treasurer who is bankrolling Jesus' ministry who then turns around and subverts the very empire that, that's good. That is good. Okay, anyway, that's fantastic. These women are using their influence to make a difference and they don't care what the status quo is. They're not looking for your permission. They got a job to do, but women don't have rabbis. These ones do. Anybody can be tasked with the work of the gospel. Anybody can, anybody. It wasn't reserved for the 12. In fact, Jesus was like, forget the 12 for now. I need somebody to go tell the 12 about the resurrection because they're not even ready to hear it. I can't even show up for the 12. Not until the women go tell them. Anybody can be tasked with the work of the gospel. Anybody can. Yeah, okay, so we already talked about Pope Gregory in the sixth century. There is another Gregory in the sixth century. Apparently it was a name like Mary for men. Yeah, thank you. So Gregory of Antioch, not the Pope, he also had something to say about Mary Magdalene and apparently he hadn't gotten the memo from Pope Gregory. Okay. Here's what he said. He's preaching a sermon on, on Mary of Magdalene, and he says this about what Jesus says to Mary. Now, this is not what Jesus says to Mary in the Gospel of John. This is his poetic sermon I'm preaching. This is why Jesus, because you have to answer the question, why did Jesus want Mary to talk to Peter? You have to answer that question. Why, if Jesus doesn't want to talk to Peter, why does he want Mary to talk to Peter? This is Pope not Pope, excuse me, Gregory of Antioch, 6th century, talking about this idea. Proclaim to my disciples the mysteries which you have seen. Become the first teacher of the teachers. For centuries before this, Mary Magdalene is called by Christian history the apostle to the apostles. Boom. That's awesome. Okay. Peter, who has denied me, must learn that I can also choose women as apostles. That, ladies and gentlemen, is 6th century A.D. Now, well, what are you saying? I don't know what I'm saying. (laughs) Apparently, everybody's really been out of shape right now about what Beth Moore can and can't do, but (laughs) thank you. Somebody's on Twitter. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know, I'll let somebody else figure out. Maybe there are some things you need permission for. You do not need permission to do the work of the kingdom. So do it. You don't need somebody's permission. Maybe there are things you need permission for. I'll let everybody else figure that out. If Jesus tells you to go, go, go. You don't 
need, if there's anything we learn from Mary Magdalene, who was forever changed, losing seven demons, it's that she didn't care what the status quo said. She was following Jesus and never leaving his side. Mm. All right. So, so do that. Um, that was an awkward segue. We need to head towards the Lord's Supper. I got some questions to close us off with. If our servers will go back and do that. Um, man, I'm sweating up here. Is anybody else hot? Whew. Um, if you're visiting with us, we have an open table. And right now, there's a great cloud of witnesses that Hebrews talks to us about. And you know who's sitting in the stands? Mary. And we're, and we're going to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. If you want to join us and her in celebrating that, you're welcome to join us, your family. Just take some bread and some juice and hold on to it, and we'll take it together here in just a moment. While they pass that out, I have some questions to ask. These could be questions for your home group, questions for your me and three, questions for your own prayer journal. These could be questions for uh, the drive home, questions around your dinner table, questions to help. What are your demons? Are you ashamed of them? Do you feel as like somebody like you shouldn't have them? I am dealing with this right now. This is true for every single one of us. Right now, I'm going through one of the hardest seasons of my vocational job. I don't work for the church. I work for an organization called Impact Campus Ministries. It's, I am a mountain of insecurity right now. A mountain of insecurity. And I sit at home with like all these like things that I know better running through my head. My own set of demons right now telling me all these things about what I am and what I'm not and all the things that I can't do and how I've screwed everything up. And I sit there at home and I go, I should know better. I'm trained in the Bible. I get theology and all that stuff. I'm better than this. I'm just human like you. And I know that every single one of us, whatever our demons are, we sit at home, we sit in our offices, we drive to work, we do whatever, and we sit there going, I should be better than this. What are your demons? Because you gotta let Jesus show up and be like, those demons, out. But if you're not going to acknowledge that they exist, it's impossible for him to do that. What are your demons? How can you use your influence and place in God's story to help push things along and make a difference? These women in this story, Mary Magdalene being one of them, they use their influence to bankroll Jesus' ministry. And that may not be your calling. By the way, if it is your calling, I'd love to talk to you after service. <laughs> if bankrolling ministries is your thing, have I got a deal for you? <laughs> All right? Now, other than that, if it's not your deal, you do have a place of influence in your life. You have a ministry. You have something that God's given you, a role to play, a part to have in pushing the kingdom forward. How are you going to use that and what does that look like? Next question, how do you suppose Mary saw herself as a character in God's story? Do you think that Mary was like, well, they're gonna write about me in all four gospels? <laughs> probably not. She probably was just doing Mary, just being there, being faithful. And Mary's, listen to this, Mary's average Mundane faithfulness changes the course of human history. 
Mary's average mundane faithfulness makes her the first witness to an empty tomb. Mary's average mundane faithfulness makes her the apostle to the apostle. Apostles. Mary, who would have probably said, eh, I'm not that big of a deal, was a big deal, which raises this question for me. How do you see yourself in God's story? If you do see yourself as like, well, they're gonna mention me in every history book, we probably have to have another conversation. <laughs> but if you're like Mary, and you're like, well, I mean, I'm just trying to do my best. Yeah. Yeah. And if you've been forever changed by an encounter with Jesus, and you're trying to do your best with your average mundane faithfulness, watch out for how God will use it. We have in our hands uh, bread and some juice. And um, I mentioned it before we got started, but uh, we sit around here remembering the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And as I think about Mary Magdalene, she's, she's the one face, maybe the only face in that entire cloud of witnesses that was there for all three. Like, I wonder if she joins us today going, I was there, death, burial, and resurrection. It was incredible. And she also sits with us as an example I mean, we have been taking bread and juice for thousands of years, remembering Jesus' call to change the world and how he's gonna put the world back together. May we join her in that this morning. Jesus took a piece of bread that night. He took it and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples. He said, take and eat. This is my body. Whenever you do this, remember me. Let's remember Jesus. Later in the meal, he took a cup and he passed it amongst his disciples. He said, take and drink. This is my blood of the covenant. Whenever you do this, remember me. Let's remember Jesus. Father God, would you, um, would you be with us today and remind us as we, as we start a journey through this summer sermon series, looking at stories that we find in the scriptures, God, would you, would you remind us that it, it was, it was normal people, just like any of us sitting in this room, that allowed us to, we allowed ourselves to show up. It's not that God showed up, it's that we did. And uh, some of us allowed, some of these stories are, are people that allowed you to come in and change everything. God, would you, would you remind us of that and, and meet us in those places? Would you help us to be open to the same things? Open to being changed. Open to being changed. Um, God, we love you. We, we long to hear stories, not just out of the scriptures, but stories amongst our own people here, friends, family, us. We, lo we long to hear stories of people that met Jesus somewhere, and because of it, they'll never be the same person ever again. God, if there's anybody here today that this is the day, this is the encounter, this is the moment where that journey starts. I pray for them. I pray that they would step out and somebody would be there uh, to catch them in that. God, we love it. We love you. We love the resurrected Christ and it's in his name that we praise. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life on the Palouse. You can find out more about us by visiting us online at liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, 
Have a great week.